His family was sending one of their corporate star yachts through two major jump gates from Silvaday to the port city of Talverdis on Garno. Just for him. And that, Devin Guthrie knew as he sat in his spacious glass-walled office on the 15th floor of Guthrie Global Systems Financial Headquarters, portended trouble. Big trouble. Devin nodded casually to his eldest brother's image on the main desk screen, deliberately keeping his voice noncommittal, as if the disruption didn't matter at all. A Transalden flight would be cheaper, he suggested to Jonathan. Even if he went first class, it would also be slower. That was more than reasonable by Devin's way of thinking. He was in no hurry to have his life turned upside down. But that only deepened his brother's frown on the large screen. You know better than anyone that the restructuring of the Empire hasn't hurt our portfolio. Jonathan was dark-haired and dark-eyed like their father, the indomitable Jonathan Macy J.M. Guthrie, who, at almost 80, was still the undisputed patriarch of Guthrie Global Systems. Jonathan also had J.M.'s intense, narrow-eyed gaze. Your time is valuable. Additionally, using our own transport is safer, especially with Philip resurfacing last month. Devon pulled off his silver-rimmed glasses, another thing his family found fault with, and rubbed at the spot between his eyebrows. He couldn't argue the validity of Jonathan's statement. Privately, the family rejoiced that the second eldest of the Guthrie brothers was alive, but Philip's resurrection had repercussions— he was now no longer an imperial admiral, but had allied himself with the newly formed Alliance of Independent Republics, Traitor Worlds, according to Imperial First Barrister-turned-Prime Commander Darius Tage. And, in spite of the fact that the Alliance was in the process of being granted conditional legitimacy, sources whispered that there was a price on Philip Guthrie's head. Being a Guthrie, one of the oldest, wealthiest, and most established families in the Empire, might no longer be a guarantee of safety from a well-timed accident. And therein rested Devon's last salvo. He slipped his glasses back on. Uh, actually, traveling by commercial transport would be safer. Tage isn't going to kill 150 passengers to get at one of us, but a Guthrie personal yacht malfunctioning at a jump gate exit or never coming out of jump would be viewed as suspicious and a direct threat, not only to us, but to the Rossettis, Petroskis, Helfsteins, and Faulkners. Jonathan ticked off the names of some of the Empire's more prestigious families on his fingers, Tage is too smart to make a direct move against us. No, the Emperor's longtime advisor was crafty enough to cover his tracks first, or get someone else to do the dirty work, just as J.M. had Jonathan do his. Devon! Devon held up one hand as a sign of capitulation, because he could hear his brother's impatience. Fine, I'll check my schedule and call you. I'll wait. Jonathan leaned back in the padded leather chair. A soft golden light danced in small sparkles through the elegant beveled glass library window behind him, illuminating the hallmark Guthrie intertwined G's visible over his left shoulder. Devon's brother was at the Guthrie estate outside Port Palmero on Silva Day, a world halfway across Alden's sector from Devon's offices on Garno.
Most GGS offices had the luxury of a secure, near-instantaneous private comm link, which, at moments like this, Devon hated. The more common two- to three-day communications delay afforded time to think things over and come up with a stronger argument. He angled away from the screen where Jonathan's image waited and tapped up a small hollow grid. The data floated in a green-tinged glow. He scrolled through his appointment calendar, noting what projects were of immediate concern and wondering how far he could stretch those that weren't. He was not looking forward to going to Silva Day. It wasn't because his current residence on Garno held any special appeal— it was a world known for its casinos, theaters, and restaurants circling the Talvertis spaceport. But he wasn't a gambler. He rarely went to the theater, and whatever fell out of his penthouse residence's chef-master unit was fine by him. It was just that crunching numbers, massaging financial data, and coding investment probability programs were what Devon did best. He was far more comfortable with data than with people especially when those people were his parents, his older brothers, and his brother's families. And especially when those same parents had no qualms about using his eldest brother to force Devon to change his life. Not that he hadn't seen it coming. Well then, get it over with. But he would do it on his terms, his timing. The quarterly summary for Galanth needs revisions. And the stage six contracts from Barris Agri are due in tomorrow with the Anglarian Church Amendments. If those unfold as expected, and as he was senior analyst on both, there was no reason they shouldn't, I'll be able to leave here by noon, fourth day. That gave him three days to firm up the Barris Agri deal, a project that had been his primary focus for more than two months. He had to be here to make sure these financial contract negotiations went smoothly. Delegate the revisions and the contracts. The Star Yacht will be there at half past six tonight, your time. Half past six. Devon's fist clenched out of sight of the desk screen cam. But, Barris Agri, father advises you to be on it. It wasn't just the tone of finality in Jonathan's words. It was that no one except Philip Guthrie ever defied J.M.,